I want to uh, welcome you to the International Evangelical Church. My name is uh, Pastor Steve Winstead, and our mission here is to make disciples of the nations for the glory of God. I do want to uh, welcome Pastor Jerry and his wife Christy here. Uh, let's give them a hand of just appreciation to God. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're going to we're in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. You can turn there. We're going to look at this passage, and then we're going to take a break, as I said, next week to jump into Nehemiah. We're in a section. Matthew chapter 8 and 9 is the miracle section. What Jesus does, he's introduced as the king. He's baptized. He's tempted. He preaches in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and then he does a series of 10 miracles. This is miracle number 6 in a series of 10 miracles. This is one of four times in the Gospels that Jesus heals a paralyzed man. And I've read this story often. I've typically read it in Luke's Gospel and Mark's Gospel. It's accounted in all three, in three of the synoptic Gospels. John doesn't tell this story. But I'm always intrigued by Jesus' response to this man. This miracle here today that we're going to see, it's very significant. This miracle will be a miracle that will start Jesus toward the cross. What do I mean by that? The leader's going to look at Jesus from this point forward and say, we must get rid of this man. This is the start of it. This is the miracle that they look and say, we can't have that. We can't have this man here. We've got to do something about him. And what strikes me about this miracle, this guy comes to him with a need. A very glaring, obvious need. But Jesus doesn't address his felt need. Everybody here today, you showed up with felt needs. Things you're going, I feel like if this were different. I feel like if I had this. I feel like if God would change this. You have a felt need. But Jesus looks and says, your felt need is not your greatest need. What you feel most is not what you need most. Your primary need is different from what you want. And he's going to address this man's greatest need. So let's stand as we read this passage. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold... Some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Therefore, uh, and behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For, for which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. It declares that all men are like grass and all our glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, O Lord, stands forever. May this be the word that is faithfully preached today. We recognize that unless you speak, Nothing of any true significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this story is told in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel. This is the shortest telling of the story. So we're going to refer a little bit to Mark and Luke to get greater insight into what's happening here. Jesus, he's launched his ministry. He's done a few miracles. He's done some teachings. Now in chapter 9, he returns to Capernaum. Remember last week, he went over to the Gentile territory and he cast a demon, not just a demon, a legion of demons out of a man. The pigs rushed off the cliff and they wanted Jesus gone. So Jesus has now returned to his own city. His own city is Capernaum. It's along the coast the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. And he's come home, and this is where uh, the plot begins to thicken. He's crossed over, and people bring a paralytic to him. But let's, let's look at what Mark's gospel says. I think this will be on the screen. Mark chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, gives us some additional insight as to how this man is brought. Luke also has these details. It says, And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So we have these four men. Actually, five, including the paralytic. Four men, their friends, is paralyzed. They hear that Jesus is doing miracles. And they go, we've got to get you to Jesus. I love these, these guys. We don't know their names. We know almost nothing about them except this. They have a friend in need. They see a solution. And they're going to go see if they can get that solution, the need met. This guy, he's paralyzed. Everybody knows he can't walk. He needs help. And he's going to bring him to, they're going to bring him where they believe he can get help to Jesus. Now it's interesting. They show up at the house. We don't know how big this house is. I imagine it's a, a smaller house, maybe a one or two room house, nothing big. And they can't get even to the door. Yet they come and they dig through the roof. Now we're, we're told uh, 
in this ancient world, the way they would do roofs is you would build a roof. You would take straw and mud, straw and mud, and each year, right before rainy season, you'd put a new roof on your house. You knew the rains were coming, much like here, and you go, rains are coming, we need to get a new roof. So every year, you replaced your roof. This was a continual thing that they did. So can you imagine Jesus preaching? He's in this house. People gathered around him. He's giving a sermon. He's giving a message. And all of a sudden, people begin to hear a scratching up above. You see, I can imagine everybody getting distracted. I haven't seen it here, you know. Something happens in the service that's outside of, of, of our control. A noise is made. A phone goes off. As soon as a phone goes off, what happens? Everybody turns that direction, right? It's a distraction. We get through it. But can you imagine, they hear a little distraction up above. Jesus probably keeps on preaching, but the distraction grows. More scratching, more digging, more noise. And then can you imagine, everybody's in there, and dirt, and dust, and sticks, and debris begin to fall on people. And they look up, and it's, it's probably dark in this house. All of a sudden, there's light. And you can look up and you can see the sky. And everybody's wondering what's going on. And Jesus, at this point, his sermon's probably over. You know, I tell people, by God's grace, I'm typically hard to distract in the pulpit. But there are things that can distract you to the point that you go, wait a minute. I've got to stop this and deal with this. Something's going on and Jesus can no longer preach. Everybody's looking up. Everybody's wondering what's going on. And they see this hole. Probably started small, right? But it keeps growing and growing and growing as they pull back more roof. They pull back more roof. And then all of a sudden, the sunlight's shining in and it goes black. And you look up. And something's happening. There's this mat that's now covering the sun. And it's slowly lowering down. And all of a sudden, these four guys holding these ropes, lowering this guy down, right before Jesus in the middle of his sermon, lands a paralyzed man. Now I've often wondered, what, what was Jesus' reaction? I mean, just think about this. Part of me, you know, the distractions when they become that great, your instant response is to be frustrated. You have plans. You know, we, we have a service going on right now. I'm preaching. You don't want to be interrupted. But Jesus, a need has come right before him. Whatever sermon he's given, it's over. He's got a new sermon to preach and it's right in front of him. I often wonder, did Jesus just sort of laugh at the situation? I mean, think about it. Somebody just tore a hole in the roof. I wonder what the homeowner's thinking. You know, I wonder if, he's out, if he ran out the door and started looking at the guys. They're going, what are you doing? This is my roof. I put a new roof on. You guys are destroying it. You're going to have to fix that. I mean, can you imagine all the drama and the human emotion and everything going on here with this? And it says in verse 2, 
Back in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, Jesus saw their faith. This story, we're going to see it a few times. Jesus doesn't merely see what's physically before him. He sees the spiritual truths, the spiritual realities. He can see what's going on in the hearts and minds of those before him. And he sees that these men have faith. I don't think it's only these four men. I believe it's also the paralyzed man who has faith. I believe all five of them there have faith. You know, we, we know from Scripture that our faith doesn't have the ability to save anybody else. A lot of times we wish it did. For those here today who you have a, a child or a parent or a, maybe even a, a, a brother or sister or a spouse or somebody who doesn't know the Lord Jesus and you wish your faith were enough to save them. But that's not the reality. Our faith can't save anybody, but here's what these guys' faith shows us. Have you ever had somebody say, would you pray for me? Have you ever prayed for somebody else? That's stepping out, having faith in God on somebody else's behalf. We just prayed earlier in our service. We prayed for things going on in Sudan, things going on in, in Ukraine. We're stepping out saying, God, we know that you're the answer. We have faith that unless you intervene, nothing truly can happen. We need you. And that's what these men, they have faith in God Almighty. And it's like they're bringing this man, trusting their faith that Jesus can do something. And Jesus says to the paralytic guy, look at what he says. Take heart, my son. Oh, it starts off so good. This guy's probably like, take heart. Yes, he is going to meet my need. Take heart. My son, he's embracing me as a son here. Your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine? It's obvious to everybody. Why is this guy here? He's not there to have his sins forgiven. He wants to walk. That's his felt need. Let me walk, Jesus. And Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine this man's going, huh. well, great, thanks. Guys, my sins are forgiven, yay. I guess hoist me back up, pull the ropes back up. I mean, can you imagine this? This isn't a thing that they're going, yes, sins are forgiven. They're going, he wants to walk. You see, we have a lot of felt needs. A lot of you showed up here today with a lot of different reasons. Some of you started coming to church for various reasons. Pastor Mike told me he started coming to church here at IEC as a nine-year-old because he liked to color, okay? He didn't come here to have his sins forgiven. He came here to color, okay? Some people come here going, hey, we want to learn English. It's a great place to go and learn English. Help your kids learn it. Some come here because they go, hey, I, I need a job, and there may be people that I can meet and connect with. Other people go, hey, I want to meet people and network and build relationships. Some come here going, hey, I want to meet a wife. Some of you met your wife here. Some of you met your husband here. Amen. God bless. It's a beautiful thing. There's a lot of reasons 
that people walk through the doors of the church. And I'm not saying any of these reasons are bad, so don't hear me being negative on these. I'm just saying your felt need, your most pressing need, what seems urgent to you is not your greatest need. Doing a coloring page would entertain Pastor Mike for an hour. But it couldn't save his soul. It couldn't meet his greatest need. He had a felt need of, I want to do something fun. I want to enjoy something. But it, doesn't, it goes beyond that. And this man's here lowered going, I want to walk. Now look in verse 3. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves. The scribes. Who are the scribes? These are the lawyers. They have the Old Testament memorized. They know the law better than anybody. They know it backward and forward. And they begin to say to themselves. What does that mean? They're not verbally speaking. This is going on up here in their heads. And they're not talking to each other. They're sitting there all thinking... Blasphemy. Blasphemy. He's equating himself to God. He's saying he can do something that only God can do. Look at what Luke, in the same story, Luke 5, 17. I believe we have this on the screen. But look at who's truly there. On those days he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Hear this. Who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. This house is filled with the religious leaders, Pharisees, scribes from Jerusalem, from Galilee, from Judea. They've all come there to check out Jesus. You see, the religious leaders, they had a process. We can go back and look at Jewish writings and see this how they did things. In fact, the book of Acts even mentions this. There were many people at this time coming going, Hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And what they would do is they would send out an investigative team. The Pharisees would say, you go and investigate. And step one investigation is this. Watch. You're not allowed to ask questions. You're not allowed to talk. All you do is watch what's happening. That's what they're doing. They're watching Jesus. But Jesus' movement is so significant that they don't just send two of their Pharisees. The Sanhedrin, the ruling party, the government of Israel, they send a huge group. Jerusalem, Galilee, Judea. What Jesus is doing is causing a stir. Let's send everybody up there to see what's going on. But these guys, they're not going to say a word today. They're only going to think. See what they would do. First step, observe. Second step, they go back and ask questions. We see him do this with John the Baptist. Who are you? Are you the one who's to come? John the Baptist's like, nope, I paved the way. What are you doing? They ask him all these questions. And then they come declare a verdict. And Matthew, later, we're going to see a verdict given to Jesus. Everybody's going to be, how's he doing the miracles? What's going on? And they're going to go, it's Beelzebub. This guy is satanic. He's evil. 
So when they say this man is blaspheming, realize this is the final verdict that will come on Jesus. He will go to the cross for blasphemy. That's what will get him killed. And these guys think all that. They're thinking all these things in their, their mind and they're wondering what's going on. And Jesus, look, he says, verse 4, knowing their thoughts. Can you imagine? Be careful what you think around Jesus when all these guys are thinking all these things. Jesus knows what's going on in their heart and he sees it. And he says, why do you think evil in your hearts? To all these religious leaders. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk. Now hear this. Which is easier to say? Oh, I can walk around this room and start going, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And you may go, did Pastor Steve just forgive my sins? Are they really forgiven? I don't, I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I can't tell. There's no proof. I can walk around doing all sorts of things you can't prove. Hey, church, your sins are forgiven. We'll walk through there and tell you all this. But you have no idea if it's true. So that's very easy to say. Because you can't verify it, can you? But if there's a paralyzed man right here, and I say, get up and walk, and he doesn't move, y'all are going, well... I guess Pastor Steve can't heal that dude. He doesn't have the power to do that. And I'd be saying, get up and walk. Come on, walk. And he doesn't walk. So it's much easier to say your sins are forgiven. But look at what he says. Verse 6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. Why does Jesus do miracles? That you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. If I come and I say your sins are forgiven and then I look at a paralyzed man and I say rise and walk you're going to look and say hey there's some power there. So Jesus looks at this man and he says rise and walk and go home. Take your bed and go. He sees this man's faith. He forgives his sin and then he tells him to rise and walk. Why is this so significant? Why is this miracle the one that starts in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus headed toward crucifixion? Everybody goes, from this point forward, we want to kill him. The religious leaders want to take him out from here on. Why is this man paralyzed? Oh, we could give all sorts of medical reasons. Maybe he was born this way. Maybe he had a back injury. You know, he hurt his, broke his back and he can't walk anymore. We don't know why he's paralyzed, medically speaking. But we do know why he's paralyzed. He's paralyzed because sin exists in this world. That's where all our problems boil down to. Why do you have marital problems? Sin exists in the world. Why do you have financial problems? Sin exists in this world. Maybe it's your sin. Maybe it's somebody else's sin. Maybe it's just general sin of the world. All of our problems boil down to sin exists. This world isn't the way it's supposed to be. So Jesus says, I'll prove to you that I can forgive sin. Why can't this man walk? Sin. This world has sin and this man can't walk 
because of it. I say, get up and walk. And this man rises and walks. All three Gospels say that the people went away glorifying God for this. You see, the religious leaders, they're sitting there going, wait a minute, don't you know how to forgive sin? You can't do this. To forgive sin is expensive. You've got to go get a lamb, and you've got to wait in line at the temple, and then they're going to kill the lamb, and there's going to be blood everywhere, you're going to have blood on you, the, guy, the priest will have blood on him, and then you're only forgiven for a year. It's temporary. Don't you know that forgiving sin is complicated, Jesus? You see, he's blowing up. He's destroying their system. He came to forgive sin. That's the greatest need we have. Our great need is we need our sin forgiven. He has authority to do this. So what's your great felt need? What is it that you feel if this were just different? If I just had more money, or if I just had health issues fixed, or if I just had my relationship issues fixed, what do we feel our biggest need is? Because most of us aren't sitting here going, my biggest need is to have my sin forgiven. But let me tell you, that's truly our greatest need. We need our sins forgiven. And we all, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, regardless of age, we all have our sin forgiven the same way. God has provided one way, and that's through His Son, Jesus, who came and said, hey, I'll forgive sin. I have authority over sin. I'll take sin upon me. I'll become sin on the cross. I'll die on the cross for the consequence of your sin. You see, that's the beauty of this story. For me, this story opens up understanding all of Jesus' other miracles. Why is this person blind? Sin. I'll make him see. I have power over sin. And if I have power over the physical sin in this world, then maybe you can believe I have power over your great sin problem that separates you from God. The healings that Jesus did didn't last forever. There's no one, this paralytic guy, has anybody met him? Do we know where he is? No, he eventually died because sin still had consequence. But let me tell you, this guy is not dead. Oh, he may not be physically walking to earth anymore, but he trusted Jesus. Jesus gave, forgave his sin. And this paralyzed guy is up in heaven with Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? Church, one day for us who've had our sins forgiven, we may be able to sit with this paralyzed guy and say, what was it like when you were lowered through the roof? And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. What do you think? How do you react? Church, as we see these, may we take great assurance that Jesus, He's the great forgiver of our sin. 
And may when you look and you see hardships in life, you go, more evidence this world is broken. More evidence there's sin exists. More evidence that we need Jesus to forgive us. Church, that's the great message we get to proclaim. That Jesus came and he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. I pray that those words are a reality in your life because you've trusted in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. It's true. It's good. And Lord, as we look at the time you spent here on earth, you came and did many miracles. People love miracles. They're amazed by miracles. Lord, forgive us for being amazed at the physical miracles here on earth, but not being amazed at the greatest miracle ever. The miracle that you went to the cross to forgive our sin. Lord, there's some here today. Maybe they come to church every week. Maybe they come for various reasons. They have felt needs. But they haven't come to know you. They haven't come to experience that their sin is forgiven. They haven't placed their faith in the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ and the victory of resurrection that we can too live in victoriously. For those people, Lord, may you open their eyes. May you work a miracle and show them that you indeed have forgiven their sin and may they trust in you. And Lord, there's some here today, many who have trusted in you. But Lord, we're guilty. We get caught up in looking at our, our most pressing need, our most urgent need, and we forget that you've forgiven the greatest need that we have, which is forgiveness of our sin. May we live in joy and celebrate the reality that you indeed have forgiven our sin. So Lord, as we sing out to you, may we sing words that we believe to be true, knowing you are a God who indeed forgives. In Jesus' name, amen.